Saturday, April 22nd, marks the 47th Earth Day. It's also within just a couple of days of President Donald Trump's 100th day in office. I'm David Hawkins, senior editor at CQ Roll Call, and on this edition of the Big Story Podcast, we're going to discuss the intersection of environmental policy and the Trump administration. With me in the studio, Jeremy Dillon and Mike Magner, two reporters at CQ who have been covering environmental policy and contributed to this week's CQ magazine cover story on the topic. To get us started, Jeremy, tell me, do you think that the Trump administration's environmental policy has been more complicated than the way he campaigned? You could say that. You could also say he's really sticking to a lot of the commitments he made during the campaign trail, uh, more so than some of the other issues he's done. If you look towards uh, the Clean Power Plan, um, his work on pipelines, his work on water rules, he's doing everything he's really said uh, on the campaign trail that he would act to repeal these rules. But what remains to be seen, though, is how far he can actually repeal these rules since they've already been enacted into uh, the regulation process. He has to go through a lengthy process to undo them, and it opens it up to uh, legal battles that could really stall actually getting them done in his first term. Joining us now, Mike. So tell me, has the first few months of the Trump presidency been as unambiguously anti-environment as his critics see it? I think uh, mostly he would say that he's a pro-fossil fuel uh, president um, and that he he makes uh, at least passing commitments to protecting the air and the water. Uh, I think what's going to be really interesting in the, in the next few months is how Congress reacts to his proposals. The, the, the deep cuts in EPA would put a lot of burden on the states, which is something that Jeremy wrote about in his piece. Um, and whether the, the states are even equipped to do that uh, without, without federal funding to help them uh, is a big, big issue. Every member of the House and Senate has interest in keeping uh, their environment protected. The constituents who are going to be pushing back about the drinking water systems and so on. So that's a great point. And it seems to me that even conservative Republicans' attitude towards the environment sometimes reminds me of the old cliche about uh, Congress. It's a true cliche where the voters say they hate Congress, but they love their congressmen. And similarly, it seems to me that many conservative Republicans hate federal regulation, but they certainly want the federal government to uh, keep the wetland on the other side of their back fence clean and pure. Right. A great example of that is what happened in Flint, Michigan, a couple of years ago when they switched the water supply without adequately protecting the the lead pipes that are still existing in that older city. When when that happened and people in the in the city began drinking lead in their water, people started blaming the EPA for not doing enough. And there was a lot of pushback. And you got to remember that Republicans have already made massive cuts to the EPA in recent years. I had one lawmaker tell me that it's already cut to the bone. They can't cut even more. That was a Democrat lawmakers, but Republicans have, have said the same things. The EPA's budget uh, in fiscal 2016 was $8 billion, um, and the Trump skinny budget proposes putting it down to $5.7 billion, which is a massive cut that uh, some advocates say would affect public safety. By the way, that amount of money uh, is just about one-third what the president would like to be spending on NASA next year. Uh, the space program gets about $15 billion a year president would like to increase that somewhat. So it's essentially a one to three ratio of all environmental protection to what we spend exploring space. 
So does it seem to the two of you that the president will get his wish and that the Republican Congress, uh, with Democrats having the power to block him in the Senate, will go along with this depth of cuts? You look at some of the political popular programs within the EPA, a lot of that has to do with state grants, enabling states to be able to pay for these environmental protections and actually do the oversight that the uh, federal government mandates. And to take away that money, you're putting a huge strain on on state budgets um, in a time when state budgets are already under such a huge strain and, and so many states are having such a hard time balancing uh, their budgets. So to to add that extra extra funding uh, problem to, to the states, uh, some states may choose to to almost ignore it, you know, and, and, and kind of go forward without that funding and instead put it onto the uh, industry uh, through the permitting process, which actually may do uh, the opposite effect that the Trump administration wants uh, for industry. They want to unleash America's energy resources, but um, increased permitting fees may actually slow it down. So while I began this discussion asking if you think he is being a less antagonistic president toward the environment uh, than he campaigned on, you've rebutted that pretty forcefully, so I'm interested to hear that. But let me tell you what I had in mind, because it's in the news this week, which is that President Trump seems to be toggling back and forth and back again, but landing uh, on the position that he and his administration are not going to back out of the so-called Paris Accord, this global agreement uh, to to limit the growth of climate change, to limit the rate of climate change that almost every country in the world agreed to a couple of years ago. Uh, do you see it that way, that he is going to stick with this? I, I think that's a, that's a very good point. I think one of the things that might be happening, although I don't think the Trump administration would acknowledge it, would acknowledge it too, cl- too clearly, is that, um, that perhaps they're realizing that climate change is having some real impacts on our environment. Uh, one of the things that we wrote about in, in this uh, issue of the magazine is that in many coastal communities, including Norfolk, Virginia, where we have the largest naval base in the world, the headquarters of the Atlantic Fleet is there, sea levels are rising in that area at the rate of one inch every six years. And they're talking now about having entire neighborhoods where many of the people that, that work at the base live having them flooded as much as five five times a year where they're incapacitated. The neighborhoods are, are going to be underwater. The Defense Department is actually starting to really worry about that because it, it affects their preparedness. And it's not just in this country. All around the world, bases are threatened by rising sea levels. And the business community uh, as, as well, I think, is... is uh, the Chamber of Commerce types, the main, main corporate America, mm-hmm. uh, they are not denying the existence of climate change. They're, in fact, encouraging, I think, the U.S. to sort of take a lead on this and help manage the problem. Right. So what the Trump administration's doing will um, effectively pull back what the U.S. federal policy is regarding climate change and and power production and renewable energy. But with businesses, uh, the businesses are actually making the case that clean energy is the way of the future. And so they're starting to sign these power purchase agreements on their own which is actually bolstering the renewable sector in the states. While, and so while the Trump administration will keep going forward with repealing the clean power plan and, and kind of these federal mandates that demand kind of clean energy sources, uh, the states and, and businesses are kind of still promoting it at a state level. That's a good point. I think uh, one of the things that Trump did in his executive order in March uh, was to say that we're going to roll back the clean power plan to clean up uh, the emissions from power plants. 
But a number of experts say it's already going to happen because utilities are moving away from coal. It's more expensive than natural gas. Emissions are going to be going down as that trend continues. Already, coal used to provide more than half of our electricity, and it's now down to about a third, I believe, something like that, or even 30 percent. And that trend is going to continue. So, in effect, the clean power plan is is happening. And what, whether they officially repeal that the implementation of it may not make, make that big of a difference. Now, there have been a few things that that and it's gotten it's been sort of off the radar. So, I think it's it's worth ticking them off. That Congress and President Trump have gotten have accomplished in terms of rolling back regulations under this uh, under this quirk in this special little federal law that allows a new president and Congress to essentially reverse decisions made at the end of the previous administration. Can one of you or both of you tick off the things that Con- the Republican Congress and Trump have done so far? Yeah. So using the Congressional Review Act, w- which you said helps um, eliminate some of the Obama era regulations that got finalized in, in Obama's last few months. Uh, the biggest one that they've accomplished so far is the repeal of the stream protection rule, which um, was supposed to limit the, the runoff of contamination from mining, uh, from mountaintop mining down in, in states like West Virginia. Um, industry advocates said it would uh, uh, put undue burden on the industry, resulting in, in significant job loss. But uh, Trump championed it as his, as his push to kind of save the mining industry. He said the miners took care of him, so he's going to take care of the miners, and and that's one of the one of the biggest accomplishments uh, in his eyes from the first 100 days. Yeah. So, so other than legislation, uh, the president has taken. We should just tick off what executive orders are sort of headline worthy that he's done so far. His executive orders have actually focused largely on energy. Um, some of his first ones uh, was the direction that the uh, Keystone and Dakota Access pipelines should get finished, and he directed the State Department and the Army Corps of Engineers to, to give the necessary permits to get those done. Both those have happened since since he signed the executive order in January. Uh, he's also signed uh, two separate executive orders that uh, called for the rollback and review of, of two controversial regulations dating from the Obama administration. One being the Waters of the U.S. rulemaking, which would have uh, expanded the jurisdiction of federal clean water rules. And the other would be the Clean Power Plan, which directs the, the regulations of carbon emissions from new and existing power plants. So both of those are now under review by the EPA as it looks to kind of unleash the U.S. energy resources that, that the Trump administration promised throughout the, the campaign. Probably we shouldn't conclude this conversation without giving some attention to the lingering debate. I mean, it's still there are still plenty of people who are not Donald Trump or not Republicans in Congress who think to revive uh, the, the environmental legislation that President Obama tried to get off the ground at the start of his administration and failed. Uh, the so-called carbon tax, cap and trade. Uh, is are there is anybody still trying to keep that flame alive? So there have been reports that the that the White House has even begun to consider it um, as a way to to generate revenue for their tax reform. It was immediately rebuked by conservatives that this was never going to happen, and and that kind of jives with what Republicans did last Congress when they passed a resolution through the House stating their stark opposition to any carbon tax at all. Um, so it's still an uphill battle to get it done. Uh, it's still the preferred method for economists to to fight the carbon emissions. 
Um, some even Republican elder statesmen have kind of adopted it, adopted it as a as a way to to fight back against climate change. But again, um, Democrats will always be for it at, at some level, but there's still some skepticism about whether Republicans will actually get on and, board. And just to say what the notion of it is, this would be a tax on all carbon emissions. And you'd have a limit on how much carbon, you sort of have a, a limit on how much carbon you could use. And then after that, you'd have to go sort of buy permission credits. And so the, the idea would be that would be tamping down mm-hmm. carbon emissions. There are a lot of different ways you could structure it. But um, David, I think one of the interesting wild cards in this whole debate will be whether Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner have sway over, uh, over their father, um, because they have indicated in the past a lot of concern about climate change. And depends on how much influence they have on him. Um, uh, I think on the other side of the White House, Steve Bannon would say, no, we need, we need to do everything we can to just help the oil industry. So who, who wins could be a, be a big factor. So it's, it's uh, what, I'm, what I'm learning this morning is that things are not quite as clear cut as I think voters on both sides of the issue might think it is. Uh, it's a very co- controlling, regulating the environment, regulating environmental uh, safety and health is uh, a multi-headed hydra. Uh, fortunately, we've got two people here in this newsroom who know what they're talking about and, and others who couldn't be with us. Uh, Jeremy, thanks very much for being with us. Mike, thanks for being along. Thank you. Uh, I'm David Hawkins, senior editor at CQ Roll Call. And thank you all for joining us in the audience. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. Happy Earth Day. <laughs>